Welcome to the Sportsman's Voice Podcast, your inside connection to outdoor legislation. From the beltway to policy happening your way, we're covering it all. I'm your host, Fred Bird. Join us as we explore public land access, wildlife and fisheries management, Second Amendment rights, the triumphs that shape our nation, the sports we all love, and the stories that fuel our passion for the great outdoors. This is the Sportsman's Voice Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, for another edition of the Sportsman's Voice Podcast, the official podcast of the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. Thanks so much for being with us here today and downloading this and subscribing this week uh, in advance of SHOT Show. We wanted to share with you, again, a conversation had at the 2023 20th anniversary of the NAS Summit. This one uh, here, we're going to get into some firearms policy, discussing uh, some some policy up in Massachusetts on the West Coast, merchant tagging, uh, kind of a little bit of everything, and then we get a, a little look into um, this year, 2024, uh, about what's on the horizon, what what folks can expect um, in their states and across the country as it concerns uh, firearms, access to the sporting community, things of that nature. Uh, we welcome in guests that you've heard before, Keely Hopkins out of the Western States for CSF, Bill Gaines out of California, and uh, new to the show, NSSF Government Affairs Director, Jake McWiggin. I got it right. You'll hear me reference uh, my inability to properly say Jake's name, but I think I got it by now. Uh, it's a good conversation. It's a fun one, folks. And again, at a head of shot show, if you're, if you're traveling out there, or if it's on your mind, uh, this is a pretty appropriate uh, show to take in. Um, I will tell you some of the some of the information at this point is is a little dated uh, as far as talking about the summit itself and you know uh, time stamping it. But the the conversation and the information presented is very relative and still appropriate uh, for for your listening pleasure here. Again, as we're as we're heading into the middle of January and uh, and working towards. February and, 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 and get into some, some warmer time of the year. So, um, at any rate, do enjoy this episode of the Sportsman's Voice podcast. Let's welcome in our guest. Let's go. Well, it's Thursday. This is technically day four, but in reality, it's day three of our 20th annual CSF NASC summit here in Dewey Beach, Delaware. And we're going to talk firearms, finally get into some of that. I've been excited to have this sit down. We are joined by Western States Manager Keely Hopkins, who you've heard before, Bill Gaines, who is now becoming a frequent flyer from California, and Jake McGowan. McWiggin. McWiggin. I'm looking at the thing. I knew I was going to screw it up. He just said it. That's all right. Uh, Look, nothing else. I'm honest, and I'm sorry. Director of State Governmental Affairs. Yes, sir. I got that for NSSF, great partner of ours. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for being here and carving out some of your time in this very busy, packed agenda day. How are y'all enjoying the summit so far? Great. I think fantastic. I think what it, we're realizing is that you know, becoming more unified as uh, organizations. I think across the board. Uh, I think that that's uh, a key takeaway, I think we've heard from a lot of different groups and a lot of different, uh, you know, whether it's the trappers, whether it's, uh, you know, those on the hunting side and the sportsman side and in the firearms industry, I think we were all understanding that 
our industry, our heritage, our traditions are under attack in a lot of the states that, you know, are probably represented around this table right now. And uh, we need to kind of work together on that to, to try to push back against mm-hmm. And you specifically gave a talk just um, this afternoon as it concerned um, privacy, firearm purchases, and, and should know, and I'm sorry, you prepped me for this. The, what was the, what's the piece of legislation that we're, we're fighting against on this here? So there are two, two pieces of legislation that we are seeing um, kind of move forward is the merchant category code. And what that mm-hmm. does is we'll track um, what, what those on the other side, the kind of the anti-gun uh, individuals want to track uh, credit card purchases. So obviously when you make purchases at a firearms retailer, they want a code to go along with that so that in the end of the day, they can, you know, determine who's purchasing what. Now, of course, it's going to have a code for the retailer. It's not going to have a code for the item you purchase. So you could go there and go and purchase a safe or a lockbox. and yeah, a fishing pole. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and the situation is going to be, oh, he's at the gun shop. I can buy more, you know, ammo, ammunition or firearms and maybe create a situation where it's a, a, you know, a red flag or a list depending on the state you're in. So um, we have seen that specifically. And, and Bill is uh, from one of the states that are now trying to mandate uh-huh. uh, the use of that code out in California. Um, we proactively are trying to pass it in states that will prohibit it. So we're going to end up with probably a patchwork uh, laws, as you would imagine. The coasts of the U.S., the, the blue states will find ways to mandate it, and then the red states are going to try to prohibit it, and we're back to fights between the, that situation. There's an ESG tie-in to all this, and I believe you spoke about that in your, in your talk. A lot of people don't have an understanding. If you listen to talk radio and, and you're a wonk on this, you know what ESG is. But the general public, large part, has no idea what's going on right in front of their face. And they, they're living it daily. This capability of tracking reports directly to that ESG score and turning you into a, a marked individual. And then, you know, your digital currency for all intents and purposes by way of credit cards be shut off if your score is, you know, if you're unredeemable. <laughs> yeah, in the in the ESG front, and, you know, I don't I don't want to overtake the conversation, but I think the ESG specifically is impacting not just our industry, but industries you never expect. A- absolutely. I mean, we're we're talking going down to like the agriculture and yeah, farm farms exactly. are now impacted by a lot of this, the oil and gas industry, as people would imagine. Uh, so we we have situations where. Um, if you look at Florida, they passed legislation this year. Governor DeSantis was very out front mm-hmm. anti-ESG in Florida, and it basically included everybody in there, you know, the agriculture, the oil and gas, the firearms industry. And then there are also those who were or independent contractors that are doing immigration uh, work, which have been defunded depending on, you know, uh, views on that in some states. So there was a lot of different protections uh, in there. It was a great bill. It's a great, obviously, model for other states to move forward on uh, on that kind of ESG front. But it's 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 getting uh, it's a battle out there, you know, all around on on this sort of stuff because the wokeness of uh, some of the corporations and what they feel they're forced to do is kind of what we're seeing um, more and more. Uh, yeah, and the kowtowing to. Uh, the mob mentality over the last five years is just manifesting itself in real time to 
just awful policy, awful, um, you know, these draconian policies being put into place that, you know, this, this is 1984. And I don't mean to get like put a tinfoil hat, like this is really happening. But my argument to this is a lot of these corporations, we have a 24 hour news cycle, right? Sure. Wait 24, 48 hours. They're going to move on to something That's else. exactly right. You don't need to respond right no. away to somebody calling you out on Twitter, Instagram or that. Right. You give it 24 to 48 hours, they're going to move on to something else and they're going to have a new cause of the day. We used to just ignore people like that. I mean, news came on at six, came on at 10. That was it. You had something to say, a letter to the editor. And I mean, this is, well, anyway, you're exactly right. But the, the issues we face here, it's a privacy issue. And like you said, the, it can shut you off for anything. You know, like you said, not just even with the gun purchases, which is insanely crazy. I mean, we start going down this new road of, and I've been, the European countries are looking at this, this trackable, this scoring, uh, so much so like with travel and leisure. Some of these people believe you should only take a very finite amount of airplane trips in your life, not a year. So this is really scary stuff. And, and, and people, I mean, we constantly say it on this program, you need to be involved. You need to know who's in your state, who's in your backyard, but it's almost like it's being done on purpose. There's just too much happening all at once to keep up with. And you just get, you get tired. You know, the more responsive we are, as Jake just mentioned, you know, if you were to respond to everything they throw out mm-hmm. here, the more we empower them and, and encourage them, push it farther and farther and farther. Right. Now you're on the front lines of it in California. Yeah, and, and as, as Jake just mentioned, we have had legislation that was actually signed into law late September, October timeframe, you know, just this year dealing with the, uh, the MCCs, Emerging Category Codes. And then that bill, it, it, typical bill for California, you've got people that are writing legislation on whether it be wildlife management, whether it be gun control or, or what it may be on, that, that they don't know nothing about the subject matter. You know, and there's really no checks and balances to when they throw legislation out there, which happens all the time, especially in, in the field of guns, you know, that, that's attempting to, to push their gun control agenda. The way they write these legislation, it's so sweeping that, I mean, it's, it just is dangerous. Any gun control legislation is dangerous. But I mean, the way, if you write them sloppy like they do because they don't know the subject matter, it, it's even worse. You know, on the, the merchant category codes front, the bill that was just signed into law, which, which we fought along with the two A groups, was, and Jake kind of alluded to this in general, it's a, it was written in a way that, that any store that, you know, you, you could assume that 50% or more of your, your total sales were firearms, ammunition, whatever related, suddenly everything that's popped with a credit card at that store is Ken grass is firearms, and it's like, wait a minute, what if I buy a tent and, and, a, and a canoe, right? Suddenly I had firearms, and so that's bad enough. But then you've got legal law, but let's say it was buying firearms. You know, but, but I'm a legal law-abiding citizen buying them. I'm not buying them on the streets, right? You know, I'm going to the background check, you know, all of the things, and ammunition checks, which we have in California. I'm going through all of that. You know, and, and obviously I qualify, you know, to, to be a legal, you know, law-abiding, you know, gun owner, you know, but then suddenly, if I spend a fair amount of money there, whether it's on guns or not, suddenly it puts, you know, a target on my back, if you will. We already have so many different ways of tracking firearms purchases in California and nationwide. 
So suddenly you're going to add this new tool that they've got that's going to help them identify, you know, people that are buying guns so they can go out and use them for illegal uses. All that does is dilute the, the substantial database that we have already with bad information, right? And it makes guys like Jake and I, Keeley and others, I mean, when it makes the may derail the enforcement on our tail instead of, you know, pursuing who they should be pursuing, who's truly dealing with, you know, illegal firearms. I mean, it's, it's just bad legislation and then certainly is legislation that dies far too deeply into privacy. And you know, don't forget, Bill, when you have a store purchaser or somebody, a prohibited person with a firearm in California, are they getting charged with anything? No, they, they, they don't have yeah, any right. Size tax either. Right? <laughs> yeah. They don't buy them legally. You know, they're this you know, AB twenty eight. I talked about this a few minutes ago. It's like that's going to be layered on top of of all the taxes of all the taxes that are hit. You know, and the eleven percent with PR, which we paid gladly because that was our legislation, right? I mean, it does good stuff on the ground for wildlife and for hunting and shooting and so forth. But the people that, you know, that, the revenues from that are supposed to remediate the impacts to communities and families and individuals from illegal firearms violence. It's not the law-abiding folks that are doing that illegal firearms. We talked about this on our, our last episode that you know, we were on. It, it's, it's the bad guys yeah. that are doing that. And yet we're paying for it. And, and, and yet, in the meantime, it's pricing a lot of people flat out, out of government. Which is a fringe benefit to them. Well, I think right. that was their original intent. Oh, like, yeah. We can't beat the Second Amendment, so let's just make guns so and expensive in California ammunition that nobody will buy them anymore. I think, I think that was... What's the legality on this, Jake? Like, how is this even possible? It all depends on the state. We've seen it locally challenged in, like, Cook County where they did an ammunition tax. They did a, a firearms tax. Um... You know, our argument in a lot of instances prior to it becoming law is essentially it's a poll tax, right? I mean, we go back, I mean, you, you have a constitutional right uh, to purchase a firearm and you're making it more and more difficult and expensive to, you know, obviously exercise that right. Imagine if you put that on anything else, including the right to vote, that's not going to go over very well. Mm-hmm. Um but what you have is when it does get legally challenged, remember we have a judicial system where we have judges that are in many instances appointed in these states mm-hmm. by those same legislators that are moving forward with uh, you know, the legislation. And what happens is they're challenging it, but many of these judges are saying, well, you're not really restricting your Second Amendment rights. It's making it more costly. But in their mind, that's okay, right? It's not, you're not barred from exercising it. It's just a little bit more costly to do it. And and so that's where some of the issues come into play is that, you know, we're in a uh, very liberal justice system in many of the states that are passing these types of laws. And they always say, well, let's challenge it. Let's challenge it. Well, it, the challenges, unfortunately, don't go as well uh, in some of this. I'm not a lawyer uh, by any means, so I may sound ignorant asking this question. But, I mean, first of all, we get the invasion of privacy aspect I think everyone can get on board with and under, understands that. But then you know, what about interstate commerce? Like, how are we not if – if I go online and order – and I, let's say I go through Cabela's. You know, Cabela's has this variant, and it's the only Cabela's in the country that has it. I order it out of New Hampshire and I order from oh, Minnesota, whatever. 
and Minnesota has this this stuff on the books. And now as a New Hampshire resident and a New Hampshire merchant, I am now being tracked by Minnesota and I'm now involved in that system. So your question you brought up is uh, a question that's been posed uh, a couple of times. Because remember, a lot of these credit card companies or finance companies, they have data processing centers in other states. So let's assume, yeah. let's assume you make that purchase in California, Yeah. right? But their data processing is in Ohio where it's prohibited. What, well, what happens? What happens in that situation, right? It's, it's yeah, in, in your interstate commerce issue, I mean, we deal with this on everything, whether we're talking mm -hmm. about common carrier issues, whether we're talking about you know, ammunition. I'm I'm in Massachusetts, so I'm a little bit a little bit south of you in New Hampshire. Oh man. It they will there will be there are almost there are minimal people that will ship ammunition in Massachusetts. Yeah. Minimal. I mean it's there's a couple that will, but it, at the end of the day, I mean it's it's just a lot of our guys, meaning manufacturers, distributors, make a calculated decision to say the market's not big enough. Right, the market's not big enough in Massachusetts to you know to basically have to uh, uh, you know apply with that sort of stuff. So they just don't they don't do. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Now, of course, we have a situation where Bill's from in California, which you know is probably a top twenty in the world economy, and you still have a lot of firearms owners and shooters in California. So you know it that that's what the power they know. That's that's why. Governor Newsom knew that if he put this MCC code in, even though Florida and Texas and others have done it, does that force, you know, force the issue and force credit card companies? That's crazy. I have heard, and you can speak truth or dispel this. I have heard there are credit, com credit card companies that have said no to the ESG and they're not. And they heard from our community loud and clear and, and from the likes of a governor DeSantis. And they came out, and I'm not going to name them, but they said they're they're not going to participate. Is that is that was that accurate? There are some that I believe have been forced to make minor changes, uh -huh. and thinking that that's so now that's not them participating. It's just you know being no. slightly in compliance. That's fun, but you do have to remember when you go down to more of the um, state credit unions, some of the state chartered banks, some of the smaller banks, they necessarily don't have that stuff in place, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're willing to. A uh, loan to the to to the manufacturer. They're willing to loan to the retailer, obviously based on their credit scores and various other things, um, but not necessarily have a discriminatory practice in place. I don't dare speak this into existence, but I'm going to say it only because you're a mass resident. And you're well enthralled in this. Forty-one thirty-nine for its hundred and thirty pages of garbage. I didn't remember seeing this in there, Amazing. and I'm surprised by this. <laughs> I'm waiting for a big shoe to drop like by after the first of the year. Remember that, uh, and I don't want to go off course, but that, that bill started as about 142 pages, and then they said they made changes to it, and I think it ended up at 128. That's exactly right. Yeah, so um, the bill is horrible. Uh, <laughs> it's you know it's, it's going to ban essentially any firearm that accepts a magazine, has a pistol grip. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Now we're dealing on the Senate side to see what we can do Fine. on the Senate side. But you're right, you are correct. It was a uh, uh, pretty much a rushed bill. Um, as I mentioned earlier today, very rarely do you see 451 police chiefs oppose a piece of legislation. Oh, so unanimously. But they call it a crime bill. So the chiefs of police are like, this is going to do absolutely nothing for me in trying to stop violent crime in no. the cities. 
And matter of fact, it hamstrung most of them, and which is why they took 20 pages out of it. You know, like you just made active duty LEOs like criminals, they, which is madness. They believe they exempted them, but then yeah. if you actually read the book yeah. a little bit more, it, you realize they're not exempted. It's crazy. It, it, Kelly, how, how can we at CSF, how can we work with our legislators to possibly thwart some of this stuff? What, what, what do we got? So this is obviously a big concern to sportsmen and women, which is why the Congressional Sportsmen's Foundation has been engaging on these issues as they pop up in states across the country. We certainly appreciate the leadership from NSSF and other groups in responding to these, but it certainly is important for legislators to hear from their constituents on these issues. Um, so whether it's working within your coalition to spread the word out to organizations that have a membership base and encouraging, encouraging them to reach out to their legislators and let them know the concerns they have, um, you know, spreading the awareness within your local communities, anything you can do to just help encourage engagement. It really is going to take the, the politicians, the legislators to put this stuff out because this is, this is just so wonky. You know, and like I said earlier, unless you're listening to talk radio or you're just really in this because you're a, you're a policy wonk, this stuff flies under the radar. Even like the big heavy stuff, people don't know. What, what happened in Massachusetts with that bill and uh, was, I think, in their mind, unexpected because our community at times have been very fragmented. Mm -hmm. You have the trap shooters. You have the hunters. You have the, let's say, black rifle guys. Mm -hmm. You have the handguns. Right. So they put this Massachusetts bill in, which essentially makes it, you have to jump through hoops to do anything, right? Before they, they put a bill on an, a, you know, on an, on an AR, Marna Sporting Rifle, and say, oh, you know, the trap shit is like, well, I don't care about those guns. And that's fine. And then magazines. Oh, I need more than 10 rounds. I don't, we don't care about magazines. And now all of a sudden, you put a bill out there like this, where Everybody is going to be impacted one way or the other. Whether, Everyone. Whether it's purchasing ammunition. What, I, and, and you obviously are well-versed on that Massachusetts bill. It says that any firearm, or every firearm in the state, A, would have to be registered, but B, has to have a serial number. Uh -huh. Prior to, I think in that it's either 68 or 64, don't quote me on it, one of those dates. This, we know there are serial numbers like... You would have to, there, there are antiques. Well, you're going to deface the value. Actually, I'm sorry. There was a provision for, and there was a old, I want to say it predated in like 1900. 18, it was 1899. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. For anything from 1894, it's yeah. a serial number. What? Yeah. yeah and exactly we know that they didn't come into existence until yeah. then. It, but it, that's the problem. And I had a legislator front of me afterwards. She goes, oh, I have a, you know, something hanging over my fireplace. Yeah. It's, it's a, a family heirloom. I go, well. You're going to stamp, stamp with a serial number. Good yep. luck with that. It, it, even more importantly, you were talking about that bill and for our community was an access issue because, and I, I referenced this in one of my presentations earlier today in, in New England, especially the top three states, we have open land access where if it's not posted, you can play on it legally. You should always go knock on your neighbor's door and get permission in my opinion. But again, legally you can go do that. In Massachusetts, you can do that west of the 495 belt. East of the 495 brings you over to Boston proper. The Cape is a little bit more liberal. But those, those counties west of Boston, where the access is, is such, you would, the landowner would explicitly have to post their property that it's okay 
for sportsmen to come on their property with a firearm to hunt or in any instant, but essentially for hunting, it's the opposite. Instead of posting to keep them out, we have to post and no landowner's going to be like, yeah, come on in and let me tell everybody you can come on my property. It's just a, you know, it's a handshake, a wink and a nod. Yeah, you can go out there and do it. I'm not going to post my land, but now you're going to shut off so much access. And that was, you know, for the sporting community, that's a huge difference aside from all the obvious stuff. That one would just snuck in there too. Yeah. No, it, it, it was in there and you would have to post it that you would allow hunting. And very similar to the, uh, there's another provision in there that says uh, you would not be allowed to carry a firearm concealed uh, into a private dwelling. That's right. Private dwelling, unless get, you are given uh, express consent. Written permission to go into an apartment, your friend's apartment. Like, so- that, and then the violation of that allows law enforcement to come in without a warrant yeah. uh, in order, and then can de- detain you for that. So I joke with people. I said, well, as you go watch the Patriots game in someone's house, you're, you end up cheering for the Cowboys, and then all of a sudden he's like, well, I didn't give him permission. I'm calling the Cowboys. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a gun, right. a gun on him. <laughs> we, we had similar legislation that kind of did the same thing. Senate Bill 2 that was just signed into law in California, which was the response of the the gun control nuts to to the Bruin decision, right? Which said you shall issue CCW. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of counties in California where the sheriff before, sorry, not going to get a CCW under my watch in my county, right? Well, we know what the Bruin decision said. It said you shall issue. Well, so what they did, and I know Jake's well aware of this bill. I mean, this legislation basically did everything. It, it couldn't outlaw CCWs or, or make it back to a May issue, but it basically prohibits 99% of the places where you can carry, right? So yeah. So let's say it does go as far as private residences, but let's say you're, you're carrying and, and you want to go from point A to point B, right? There's somewhere along that travel line where you're going to be in violation right. because you're within 1,000 yards of a school or whatever right. it may be, right? Not to mention just to get your CCW. They doubled the length of, of the initial class. They doubled the length mm. of the renewal class. Trying to price people out of this. Yep. I mean, it's just backhanded ways again. You know, around this table, we have, you know, Keely representing the West Coast, uh, Bill in, in California, myself, and, and you essentially in the Northeast. And um, it may be a controversial stance that I take, but the Bruin decision, while a remarkable, remarkable decision on that, has made our lives around this table a thousand times more difficult. Because what we ended up seeing from the Bruin decision, very similar to go down that line, but uh, the abortion decision from the Supreme Court as well. The blue states decided to say, we have to do something, right? How many times do we hear that in these states? We have to do something. So what happened was in states like Massachusetts, where we, you know, you would, depending on your city and town, you could get a license to carry. And there were very, very few restrictions as to where you could carry that. You know, obviously the government buildings, the schools, Uh and and the normal uh, instances where you are not allowed to carry. But now all of a sudden with Bruin, everyone's like, well, we have to do something there. It's going to be the Wild West here and we need to just, you know, pass these laws in order to do that. And I, I, while it was a great decision and sets a great precedent, and for those people in New York City that obviously it impacted, it has made kind of our lives around this tape yeah. in states that, you know, in the red states and not have to worry about it, right? But you, you come to the, some of these blue states and they decided that this, we have to address this. It's a, you know, because it's all about press conferences. It's all about putting, you know, we have to do something about it. And that's what's made it difficult for us um, around this table. And, you know, everyone, including Keeley, has seen the impact on not only gun owners, sportsmen, all the way down the line uh, in these states because of that. 
And, and you know, like we've talked about many, many times, I mean, these laws and regulations, they only impact law-abiding gun owners. I think that's, there it is. They don't yeah. impact, you know, the illegal, you know, uh, firearms out there, you know. And, and, and in the case of, of Senate Bill 2, we've looked at the data and we could not find a single incident. Because, I mean, we go through background checks. We go through, I mean, there's all that in California, right? You know, but when you get a CCW, I have one. I mean, you go through that. Plus a whole bunch of, bunch of bigger digging into who you are and, and, you know, what your history is and so on and so forth. You know, and we looked into, was there ever an incident anywhere where we had a mass shooting, you know, where somebody that didn't out had a CCW? Zero. Yeah. So, so what is the benefit to curbing illegal gun violence, if you will, for making it impossible for people that have never been a party to illegal gun violence? Not be able to carry, and we could argue the flip side that if you're got a CCW, you're protect protecting the public from illegal gun violence, right? So it's just frustrating to say, to say the least. I think one of the silver linings, though, is we are seeing increased attacks, ongoing attacks to firearm access, firearm ownership across the country. Um, but one of the silver linings is we are seeing sportsmen's organizations come together and work more closely on these issues. Like in Oregon last year, there was a ballot measure 114 that would have banned standard capacity magazines amongst a whole variety of other restrictions. And the sportsman's community actually joined together to run our own campaign. So we set up our own PAC, we got contributions, we did radio ads, messaging on this ballot initiative, and also with the support of NSSF. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot more understanding about why sportsmen and women need to get engaged in these issues, um, you know, whether it's Oregon, Washington, California. So that is an encouraging piece of this, and hopefully it will continue. As the calendar flips here in a couple of weeks and we go into a new year, I, we, we talked about, we know what we got looking at, what we're looking at in New England. I mean, you're, you, for our CSF, you know, it's part of your portfolio. Um, what are we looking at across the country? What's on the horizon here? And what do we got to build up for? Well, in the states out west, we're going to see a variety depending on what the state is. Um, in states like Oregon, Washington, California, we're going to continue to see attempts to limit access to specific types of firearms, um, certain magazine capacity bans if they haven't already done it in states in the west. Um, recently, we've been seeing a lot of attempts to limit youth access to commonly used firearms mm -hmm. and restricting youth under 21 from being able to use semi-automatic shotgun, which is very popular for waterfowl. Turkey, waterfowl, yeah. Or for trap shooting programs yeah, yeah. that are high school, very popular in high school and college. Um, we saw that in Washington, Oregon, and Nevada. Um, it did pass the Nevada legislature this last year, but luckily it was vetoed by Governor Lombardo, who is a member of our Governor's Sportsman's Caucus. But I think we'll see more attempts to do the same. Mm -hmm. I, I can tell you in California, we're going into the second year of a two-year session. So we have some two-year bills lingering from 2023. Our session starts here on, on January 3rd, mm -hmm. just a few weeks away. Senate Bill 8, which is legislation which would require firearms owners in California to carry firearms liability insurance, which opens up the whole gamut, not to mention cost and everything else. Can you even get it? Yeah, mind, mind you, Bill, that's not a commercially available. That's it. <laughs> I mean, so yet another backhanded attempt to just, 
you know, price people out of guns one way or another. But that bill's already been set for hearing, I think, off the top of my head. I think it's January 10th. Uh -huh. I mean, so we know that's coming. And, and then they can introduce new legislation in 2024 as well. And it, 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 they just they just dream up. It's hard to find something in the gun control realm that hasn't already right. tried in California. Well, they keep doing it. They keep doing it. They get creative. And they know that that. 99% of this stuff is unconstitutional. They know it's going to be challenged because we're getting better and better in, in that arena as well. We've got a favorable Supreme Court and so forth. They don't care because they know by the time it works its way through the long, painful legal system, That's right. they're out of office, right? And they're not worried anymore. So, so they can go to their constituents now in the urban areas and say, look at what I did on gun control. And a lot of their constituents are ever bit as naive as the legislators are, right? And by the time it gets, you know, Billions of taxpayer dollars spent on trying to you know, mm -hmm. defend it in court, and by the time that we reach the Supreme Court and and it's overturned, they're retired, so they can grab credit now and not worry about the the negative impact you know that may have been waiting for them later. Right? Well, the other thing to that, and you know, as I understand it, with the with forty one thirty nine in Massachusetts, there's so many provisions in this thing. If you brought it to court, you would have to litigate issue by issue by issue. And 128 pages of separate issues is going to take decades mm -hmm. and many, many dollars, right? right? And I don't think they put a stay on them that they would come into effect even while they're being litigated. Right. That's right. That's the problem we have. So it's madness. We will get a decision, a court decision in our favor, and then immediately an AG will get an injunction on top. Yeah, it's like a 48 hour window or not even that California. I think they had six or seven days on the magazine stuff. Right. Right. Well, and, and on the, on the ammunition stuff, same thing, you know, and it's like, I told, called my buddies up. I go, you're going to buy a fight now. <laughs> right. You know, I said, don't wait till tonight. Sure enough. Like, like seven hours later, boom, you know? So, yeah. And, and, you know, you, you talked about the calendar turning, obviously we're going into 2024. Uh, firearms, it's an election year uh -huh. and firearms industry is a very cyclical, um, you know, industry. Uh, so I'm sure we will continue the, uh, purchasing of firearms throughout 2024 with fear of what would happen uh -huh. in the election and what's going to happen both on the federal level and the state level. And what I tell people both, you know, some states won't even want to address it because they don't want to make an election issue and others actually think it's going to help them. So they do make an election issue, like in a place like California, as Bill had pointed out. Um, again, our sportsmen, our gun owners, they need to get out and vote. 2024 is obviously going to be paramount to that. A lot of our guys have short memories, uh, you know, with some of the uh, legislation that impacts them. So just try to remember, you know, what they continue to do to you, even if they're not doing it in 2024 or they've done it in the previous years, because that's what matters at the end of the day. If they don't feel, or some of these legislators don't feel repercussions at the ballot box, mm -hmm. they continue to move forward, you know, with that. And sure. we've seen that, um, Rhode Island, you know, very small state, mm -hmm. uh, they did a magazine band. Um, nobody lost a seat over it. Yeah, nothing. And then the following session, they introduced a, what I would call a quote unquote assault weapon ban. Um, they are actually concerned with litigation. Rightfully so. Um, so that did not move forward. But a lot of them came to us and said, Jake, we, nobody lost his seat over magazines. So they're going to move forward with the rest of this. Mm -hmm. So that's what people need to remember. And, and, you know, and when you get down to these local 
um, elections or local state rep elections, it can turn on a couple hundred votes. And I've learned in some of these situations where some of these big in-state gun groups, they, let's say they have 10,000 people. I've been told some of them are like 30% of them are registered to vote. That right there is, is enough to, to make people kind of shake their head like you just did yeah. to say, okay, you're going to complain about, you know, the impacts of you, but you're not taking the day to go. I'm not doing anything. Or nowadays you've got months to vote now, right? You, you can get mailed in for months another show and probably not for CSF. <laughs> Let me echo, if I, if I may, Fred, a little bit of what Jake just said. I mean, the importance of not only registering to vote, but actually voting. You know, when it comes to the, we, as we were talking about, you know, in our panel discussion a little bit ago, when it comes to the NGOs, we've got them all, the NGOs themselves, politically active. But we got to take it one step farther. We got to get their members politically. Yeah. Well, you and I have talked about this in the past, that the active members you have is a finite percentage of a small percentage anyway that are taking up membership. You, we had uh, NWTF here, and, and I'm alone, right? So NWTF is roughly 200,000 members, give or take a thousand or two, right? Of those 200,000 members, you have like, it's even less than 30% that are active, that, that run a chapter, that are active participant in a chapter that will go to a fundraising banquet once a year. And the rest of them are all passive. They get their magazine once a year, spend their 35 bucks, they've done a good thing, get a sticker, put it on their truck, life is good. But there's no, there's no real buy-in beyond that $35. And that $35 is important because it goes to mission delivery for, again, for all the NGOs and the species-specific groups. But the grassroots part of it is what's really missing in that, that power of that voice. And that's what gives these people that power. When, when NWTF, uh, when Matt Lindler, who's the director of government affairs, when he goes down to the Hill, he can say, I represent 200,000 people. I'm one representative for the 200,000 voices that agree with what I'm saying. But it would be way more impactful if all 200,000 people were behind Matt Lindler. Yes, we're here. And this is, this is our voice. Only that, I think the elections give sportsmen and women an opportunity to make those introductions to candidates before they go into office. Mm -hmm. So as the elections come up next year, candidates are going to want to meet with their constituents, their future constituents in their district. That's a good opportunity for sportsmen and women to have those initial conversations to help educate them about the issues that are important to individuals in their district. But then also, if they do get elected into that state legislative position, then when the bill does come up the next session, it's much easier to reach out to your new legislator mm -hmm. and say, I am so-and-so, we had coffee, I talked to you about these issues, hey, I want to talk to you about this bill that would impact me and my hunting or whatever the issue may be. There's yeah. got to be ownership in this country. Again, you have to own it. You have to be involved in your community. And Kiwi made a great point. I think the personal relationships that you develop are important. Mm -hmm. I've heard recently just in the Massachusetts, on the Massachusetts building alone, not to keep no, it's fine to bring it up. But legislators came to me and said, I got correspondence from 700 people in my district, and I had never heard from them. And it wasn't the form letters. It wasn't right. the, it was, you know, and that's what I tell people. If you want to make a difference, you talk to them in the district, you find them in the district, you send them a personal, you know, email, say, hey, it's such and such. You know, I'm really, this, this is really going to impact my, my bill. Uh, a funny story, one of, one of the legislators said he was in the chair getting his eye exam from his optometrist. You <laughs> called him out. The optometrist goes, <laughs> hey, uh, what the heck's going on with that building you guys doing in Boston? And Ed's just got his eyes, and he's like, uh, well, I, I, I don't know. You know it's <laughs> over on the Senate side. 
You, you have to be opportunistic, Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he goes, oh, I've got to get those pupils dilated. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, we urged our NGOs to also, when the, when the legislators are in their districts, whether it be during recess, which we're in right now, during the summer, whatever, get them when they're in their districts. If you try to get them, at least in California, they have so many constituents, try to get them and get 10 minutes of your time with your actual legislator instead of staff. I mean, at the Capitol? game over because they're in their 30 seconds and mm. their keeper comes and yanks them out for something else. Get them in their district when they have time for a cup of coffee and get to know them, right? So like he, he says, when, so when an issue comes up, you go, hey, this is Bill. You remember we had, I mean, get to know, get to know them and, and in their districts during the break or during the summer break, whatever it is, it's, that's the best way to do it. When, when we tell people, you know, my home state, New Hampshire, that we have 400 representatives in the House of Representatives and feel like, what? In New Hampshire? Uh-huh. But what's nice about that is the ratios, they, you know, they represent just so many people that you, you really can get to do that. And then everyone knows about the retail politics of New Hampshire. And that's certainly spinning up right now going into that election year. That, so I wasn't being rude. I pulled my phone up because I was trying to find a headline that I saw this morning. But given what happened in Las Vegas, presence calling for, we got to do this. It's election year. Got to, got to ride that, that train. We got to get rid of these uh, assault weapons. So here we go. Right on time. We see it all the time, and what we have seen in the past with the horrific tragedy in Maine uh-huh. is that there, and I don't want to bring up the term red flags, but there are red flags there that nobody seems to be addressing. Lewiston, Maine was a complete and utter bureaucratic failure across uh-huh. the board. And to then put the onus and say, it's the firearm, it's the magazine, it's, we need to focus on the individual. NSSF in the past has done fixed nix legislation across this country. And some, some states we went into, they were saying, you know, NSSF is a shill for Bloomberg because they want to put records in the system, right? They want to put records in the federal system. Fixed nix was putting those people who have been involuntarily committed through a court process by a judge who are already federally prohibited many of these states. it's on the 4473 yeah. right. and these states were not sharing those records yeah. to the feds and that's what we try to do we need to address the mental health component in this country 100%. it becomes an issue because because those mental those on the mental health advocates you know to their credit are representing obviously their interests but mm-hmm. they say we can't stigmatize mental health but we continue to see over and over again that it is a situation where everyone they talk to say, well, yeah. It's always, that's always the next thing. So there's two things you can count on. And I hate to be so cynical about this, but every time in recent history after this happens, two things you can count on. We knew about it, the person, and we got to do something about it. We got to get rid of these guns. Like almost all, and then now it's even getting it's really disgusting how quick it's coming out. It's not even the next day. It's like three, four hours after breaking news happens and they're talking heads on there. And it's, it's awful. And it depends on if the shooting fits the narrative. Exactly right. What, what was the individual? What type of fire? Because you know, we're certainly not talking about the inner cities where this stuff is occurring in the Midwest and you know Southern California. Like No one seems to care about that. And I've had discussions with legislators from inner cities saying, Jake, over a weekend, you know, we have four or five, you know, people in my district that are victims of gun violence and nobody's doing anything about that. You know, you have a high profile, you know, 
tragedy that makes it on the news, and then all of a sudden it's a knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Why is nobody trying to address the epidemic that we have in my city, in my district, um, instead of, you know, like you said, being knee-jerk, holding a press conference saying we need to do something, and then, again, as we talked at the beginning, it's a 24-hour news right. cycle, right? Let's... You know, let everyone needs to move on. They move on to the next thing, and then another tragedy happens. So let's ban it again. It's 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 truly unfortunate that there is no real solutions to that people are looking for. We, as NSSF and everyone around this table, knows that what we can do to fix this in some of these violent communities, as well as these horrible tragedies, but nobody wants to take the hard way. Yeah, you want to take the easy way and play the history. Yep, yep, for sure. Well, on that happy note, thanks, Jake. <laughs> what they say? I, I will give everyone a chance for parting thoughts here, but uh, I do want to acknowledge that uh, I've occupied your time for a little bit longer than I intended, and I really appreciate it. Uh, I do want to get you back downstairs and enjoy the rest of the summit and the good policy talk that we do have on store for you in the evening event. So. Parting thoughts. I will start with with Keely because you've you've been observing mostly. <laughs> yeah, no, I just would I guess part with what we've been already talking about is how the sportsmen and women community is coming together, but also needs to continue to build upon that. So, in the state that an individual may be living in, if you don't have a coalition already set up where you can share information, work together on the issues, um, especially around these firearm access topics. Um, definitely see what you can do to put one together. Bill Gaines has been the leader out in the West with creating the coalition they have there in California. Recently, Oregon took his model and started a coalition there. Washington has also started one. There's one now in Colorado. And these have just been great avenues and venues to share information and engage on the legislation that's impacting all of us. That's fantastic. Bill, pardon thoughts? No, well, I did want to echo what we talked about a little bit earlier and then and the importance of getting politically engaged, not just the organizations, but the individuals, right? The other thing that I'd like to throw some kudos at the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation for is we do, we have our outdoor sporting caucus, obviously, mm-hmm. in California. And every year since NASC was created, we have had our annual legislative trap shoot. And, and you know, in addition to getting the sportsmen out to, to vote and, and register to vote first, if you're not, but out to vote, you know, and, and elect good legislators that support our deals and, and not those that don't, you know, we have to educate legislators as well. Uh-huh. Right? We talked about getting the individuals to get to know them in their districts and so on and so forth. But most of the ones in California in these heavily urban areas, they don't know anything about guns. They don't have one. They've never used one. They've never gone out and broke a few clay targets or anything like this. Well, that's what this annual shoot is intended to do is mm. get them out there. Yep. You know, the Department of Fish and Wildlife in California litters the range with instructors, gives them the hands-on, you know, instruction and so forth. Perfect example this year, Reggie John Sawyer, who has chaired the Assembly Public Safety Committee, a Los Angeles Democrat, he's chaired the, the Assembly Public Safety Committee for several years. He's not going to this coming year, but uh, nevertheless, in every bill, every gun bill, regardless of how silly it is, gets through that committee party line every time, right? So Reggie, and we're, he knows us well because we're in front of him all the time. And it's the census that's in front of him all the time. CRPA, NRA, Gun Owners California, we're all in front of him all the time. You know, he actually RSVP'd 
for this year's caucus shoot. Is that right? We saw him on the RCP list. We go, geez, he's, he's registered. What if he's going to show up? He showed up. So he's out there. AV28, the excise tax bill that I referred to a little bit ago, was, was pending at that time. Reggie comes out, you know, and we had such a crowd out there. We had people waiting in line. We were doing our best to get the legislators up front because we had a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm talking to Reggie, and he goes, Bill, he goes, I come from a, an urban district in L.A., which, of course, I knew. He goes, people that own guns in my district, they're illegal guns, and they're used for illegal violence. That's why I'm so anti-gun. He goes, we had a lot of youth shooting teams out there that day out at the Congressional Sportsman Shoot with us. You know, we had a lot of youth shooting teams out there. And, and he goes, I didn't know this was happening. He goes, my God, this is great. I love these kids being out here learning to use firearms safe and sane, learning to shoot. That's fantastic. He goes, we should be doing scholarships for this. Right. And I was like, whoa. But that's the kind of impact that, uh, you know, the good things that CSS doing with those uh-huh. annual shoots can have on legislators that are voting on gun control bills daily. The retort to him is, we, we also have a problem with your inner city guns and your yeah. inner city crime. Yeah, we oppose that too. Yeah, right? we're, we're on board, Bob. Yeah. Jake? Um. <laughs> So I will not be the downer at the end of this uh, <laughs> podcast, as you mentioned prior. Um, what I want to talk about, obviously, in closing is, you know, the great work that NASC has done, NSSF has done proactively in a lot of states, right? If we move away from those coasts, there's been some tremendous victories for sportsmen, for gun owners across the country. I mean, we're close to, I think it's 27, 28 states that have constitutional care yep. that. Um, numerous groups, uh, in-state groups and NRA and others have worked on, you know, over the years. So, and interesting is, and I know it was discussed in one of our uh, uh, panels downstairs, is a new NBC News poll that came out within the past couple of weeks that said, for the first time ever, 52% of all households in America either have a gun or someone in the home mm. uh, possesses a firearm. 52%. People need to think about that because in our election, that's a majority, man. In our election, right? If you if you win an election fifty five forty five, it's a landslide, yeah. right? So if you are at a point where it's fifty two forty eight with gun owners, that is a huge, huge, you know, uh, statistic that they need to look at. And the other interesting thing is, uh, Bill had pointed out is changing demographics, right? Changing demographics of who's purchasing firearms. Those that same district in L.A., um, people are now taking the personal responsibility to protect themselves and their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, since 2019, those within the African-American black communities has, has gone from 24% uh, gun ownership to 41% wow. gun ownership, 17% in three years. Because again, they want to, in, in the females, we know that close to or over 40% of new first-time gun owners or purchasers are females because they want the ability to protect themselves. Um, and so- Seeing that 52% number, seeing the positive things that um, everyone kind of around this table is doing in these states, I, I think that should be uh, enlightening for many people uh, to see and hear. And, and again, uh, 2024 is going to be a big year, both on state and the uh, federal elections. And uh, get out and vote. Thank you. Man, that's, we're going to end it right there. That's fantastic. And uh, yeah, get out there and vote because if you don't, someone's going to do it for you. Guys, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the summit. What can I say? Sometimes I'm a little bit more plain spoken, I think, than, than folks in the, in the policy arena are, are used to. And uh, I, 
I hope that's okay. I hope you guys can appreciate it because you can't know everything. And, and, and I, like so many of you are, I'm learning uh, every day. And every time I have a conversation, uh, there is a, an element of genuine curiosity from my, uh, interests. Um, certainly if I feel like I'm somewhat of a, an expert or, um, well-versed in a subject, you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll identify that. And I'll also go the other way and let you know that, uh, I'm, I'm wildly curious about certain things. And as it pertains to the, the conversation you just heard, I mean, I felt, felt pretty good about, uh, how I could question, uh, and, and, and have the conversation with Jake Healy and, and Bill, but there are some things that, you know, as it, as it pertains to the, the tracking abilities of credit card companies and then the purchasing and then kind of, you know, uh, going down a rabbit hole of some of the really aggressive legislation that, uh, that we saw towards the end of last year that is being presented again this year. Um, NSSF is all over that, obviously from a lot of the, the second amendment stuff, but our community, uh, definitely needs, needs to weigh in, especially when it comes to access, when it comes to young people being to access certain firearms for the purpose of, of, of outdoor pursuits. Um, and not getting caught up in some of these pieces that are looking to do, uh, put a dent in and curb gun violence and, and that seek to, um, reimburse or fund, uh, outreach programs on the back of, of, of the country's, uh, firearm enthusiasts, rec shooters, hunters, um, at any rate, thanks so much, um, all, as always, to Keeley, to Bill, and, and thanks for the opportunity, Jake, for getting to, uh, to sit down with you, talk to you, and get to know you a little better, and, and certainly always appreciate the opportunity to have a partner come in and, and, um, and have them sit down with us and, and talk about their relationship with CSF and, and, and how we all work together. So um, at any rate. Hope you guys enjoyed that. As you may have noticed, uh, and I forgot to say this in the intro, no TSV on this one. And going forward, we're going to change up the format of the program. So TSV Roundup is going to be, uh, going forward, a standalone offering. And uh, I think we're going to bring that to you weekly. So if you're not getting the TSV EPUB, you're not signed up for that, first of all, I recommend that you do that into our website, um, put your email in there, sign up, you get those EPUBs Mondays, Tuesdays, depending on the, the holiday, if there's a holiday or if we're traveling as an organization and executing uh, wonderful events. Uh, about five o'clock Eastern time, you can expect those. And, and again, if, if, if you don't want to do that and you're, you're prone to uh, an audio version of that, uh, you're going to get that here. So while it was not included in this episode going forward, uh, like I said, a standalone offering for you, TSV Roundup, and uh, we'll do that on a more frequent basis and keep you up to date uh, what's going on around the country as we've done in the past uh, and giving you that, that chance to, to download six to call it 15 minutes worth of content that we're not going to front load on a, on a fun conversation. Um, some of the feedback is... Uh, Feedback's been good, but also we appreciate constructive criticism, and it seems like uh, some of our audience may not be getting the the meat of our episodes because uh, perhaps the the TSB roundup um, 
maybe a little too heavy in the front. So we listen to our our uh, our friends out there and appreciate the feedback. So this is the new course. This is what we're going to do. So if you like the TSV Roundup, you can look forward to that. And uh, certainly we'll, we'll put announcements and follow us socially so you can see when those are dropping and get access to that information. As always, we appreciate you listening, bring us, bringing us along for your day. I hope you all had a, a great holiday season, a wonderful new year. We're, we're, we're into it. Uh, election year, so things are going to get sporty here real quick uh, here in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah, Iowa, as this podcast is dropping, the, the Iowa caucuses were held. And uh, everyone who's anybody is, is showing up here in the Granite State. So uh, we're going to go through that process here and then uh, get back to work at the state levels. And uh, same thing for my colleagues across the country. So that's it. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Sportsman's Voice podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, your support is crucial, and you can help us out right now by leaving a review, filling in those five stars where available, sharing this episode with friends and family, and engaging with us socially. CSF can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Together, we can protect the outdoor sports we love and continue to keep you informed wherever you are. That's it for this week. Until next time, see you later.